Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Hey everyone, Mikkel here. So before we get into today's episode, I just want to mention to you that you need to check out all the work we're doing on social media. So don't worry about Instagram, don't worry about LinkedIn, don't worry about Pinterest and those types of things. Where you're going to find me is on Twitter. Every single day I'm on Twitter. We're sharing a lot of the thoughts, a lot of the tips, a lot of the breaking news is coming out on Twitter. And then add to that our expat money forum. We are doing so much amazing things in the forums. There's special content that's not found anywhere else. There's a lot of networking. There's just so much happening on this forum that I really hope you get a chance to participate. And you can access that at expatmoneyforum.com. So find me on Twitter at Thora Mikkel or join the forum at Expat Money Forum. Okay, enjoy today's episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Expat Money Show. Today I have with us a guest in Tel Aviv, Israel. He has been programming since the age of seven and been a fan of Bitcoin since 2011. He is an outspoken thought leader on cryptocurrency in Israel, and he is the co-founder of Bancor, which is a decentralized liquidity network. Please welcome to the show Eyal Herzog. Eyal, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. So why don't you take a couple of minutes and just tell me a little bit about your backstory, your history, and how you got into working with cryptocurrency. Sure. So I really started, you know, as a kid programmer, that was a game for me. And there is military service in Israel. So I was like located to an intelligence unit, 8200. It's a famous unit. And they recruited me directly to a developer position with no training, by the way. And I worked there as two years as a developer. And then I actually managed a network of like a thousand computers, which is one of the things that can really only happen in Israel, that you're 21 and you're managing a network of a thousand computers on 95, you know. (laughs) So I got really excited about, you know, the prospect of computer networks and then really heard about the internet and was one of the first in Israel to connect to the internet, to, to explore the first decentralized network. And I was, you know, riding the dot-com bubble. I actually created the social network in 98 called contact.com. We raised like $16 million from Excel and top VCs. A great promise. You know, people really liked the idea of the social network even back then. But, you know, with the dot-com crash in April 2000, everyone decided that the internet is just a fad and nothing going to come out of it. And we actually had to close the company. And later on, I was for years trying to raise money for my second project, which was Meta Cafe. It was a video sharing site, well, actually bigger than YouTube in the beginning. I did have a big, big miss there. I didn't get kind of that video is going to go long tail. I actually thought I didn't understand the concept of long tail, and I kind of assumed it's going to be like TV. And it did go long tail. You know, we live in a world that there are almost no hits in videos because everyone was watching completely different things on YouTube, which is beautiful, if you ask me. Much better than the situation of lowest common denominator on TVs. And, you know, I think this is one of the reasons that really YouTube won that race. And in 2010, I kind of came back to Israel. I was in Palo Alto for three years with my wife came back to Israel, and I started to be a consumer of online video. I started to listen to all these kind of podcasts and 
you know, YouTubers and documentaries online. And I found it so fascinating. And in 2011, on one podcast that I was listening to, there was an episode about Bitcoin. And I was like completely, completely blown away. Uh, I thought to myself, you know what? I learned a lot about user-generated video and what it means. But, you know, who can even imagine what it would mean user-generated money? And that was what Bitcoin was. It was the first user-generated money. And no one even knows who generated it. And it's tradable all around the world. And it's even not the only one. There was At that time, there was Namecoin and Litecoin and you know, a few others coming along. And I was fascinated by it and really wanted to kind of explore the concept of user-generated currency. So... In 2012, we created a company called AppCoin that created a platform for user-generated currencies with integrated marketplaces, but not on the blockchain. It was using centralized servers because, you know, I, all my life, I, uh, everything I did was with, with the end user, like generic kind of consumer application, online networks for end users, for anyone, like social network or, or YouTube are not for any specific audience, they're for everyone. And I wanted to see how people will use the concept of currencies. We actually launched some uh, pilots uh, in Israel, like with a mom's Facebook group of uh, 30,000 moms, we launched a, a currency called Hearts and a marketplace, and it became like an instant hit, and moms were starting to trade this currency for toys and clothes and you know, weekend vacations between each other. It was like really, really surprising and a great learning experience. But we noticed that you know, after a while, the activity started to decline on like a very slow but consistent pace. And we didn't understand why. And we were looking, you know, very hard into that. And to cut a long story short, we understood that the problem was lack of liquidity. So all those currencies that we were creating are, were like isolated islands, like a network which is great and useful by itself, but it's not connected to the internet. You know, that is like an illiquid currency. It's a great tool, but it's not connected to the greater financial network. And, and we understood that this is like a critical problem and, and exchanges wouldn't solve it because who would trade a currency of 10,000 months, you know, that no market maker would see future profits. So, you know, this led to kind of a long multi-year process of thinking about those kind of challenges, which eventually led up to the creation of the Bancor protocol, which is essentially a different approach for liquidity, an approach that guarantees liquidity regardless of volume. It disconnects liquidity from volume. You know, today, you can go to the Bancor.network and you can buy and sell 27 different tokens in exchange from Ether. We just yesterday <laughs> released it, the DAI. And it doesn't matter what is the volume. You know, you'll have liquidity regardless. And, uh, and it's a different approach. And we developed it. We released it. And that is, you know, my, my full-time occupation right now. I'm pushing kind of Bancor Network and the concept that we will present. It's a fascinating story. So unpack for me a little bit on how you solve this liquidity problem with Bancor. Basically, what we did is we invented a new category of money. We call it smart tokens. It's not tokens, but it's smart tokens. And the difference between them is that smart tokens is money that can use money. So that is the concept of, of you can issue a currency which holds a different currency. Now, we actually have things that are similar to that, uh, you know, in, in nature, if you think about it, like a basket. Basket is like a basket note is essentially currency which holds other currencies in its reserve, you can call it. But the, the idea is that when you have those smart tokens, then you can actually buy them and sell them at any time. Because if a currency holds another currency, for example, BNT is holding Ether. So you can buy BNT by sending Ether into the smart contract of the BNT token. BNT is bank or network token. And you can actually liquidate BNT by you know, sending back your BNT to the smart contract. They will be burned and you will get Ether from the balance that held by the contract. So BNT as a token is actually using money because it holds Ether. And because of that, Anyone can buy and sell BNT at any point, and you know, no counterparties required, not at all. Now, whenever you buy BNT, the price of BNT goes up. So the next one, we're going to pay more, and the next one, we're going to pay more. 
And whenever you sell BNT, the price will go down. So the contract is pricing BNT in Ether according to the market dynamics. More buying volume, meaning the price will constantly increase. More selling volume would mean that the price will constantly decrease. And the price will always reach an equilibrium when you have the same selling and buying volume. So this is how BNT works. Now, the same system can be used to connect tokens that are not smart tokens to the liquidity network by having a smart token that actually holds two different tokens and can be bought and sold for each of them. When you have a smart token like that, you're actually creating what we like to call a token relay, which is a token that connects two different tokens together, enabling to convert between them. And this is what we have been deploying mostly in the last three months. Everything that you see on Banker Network, almost everything, is token relays, which is simple smart contracts that connect two tokens, allowing people to convert one to the other. And whenever people do that, it changes the conversion price in which it can be done you know, the next time. And that creates a situation that if the price is not aligned with the market price, then arbitragers will make sure that it is. It creates a financial incentive for arbitragers to do so. So the entire system is fully compatible with the existing system thanks to arbitragers. And you know, in the beginning, we didn't know if arbitrage will come or not, but they were there for the first second. It's like almost <laughs> arbitrage was like looking at Bancor, understanding the arbitrage opportunity that will be created and started to do it from day one. And, you know, it's the, the price that you can get BNT on the contract is in full sync with the price that you can get it on marketplaces thanks to the arbitrage. Because if it's not, it means that someone can make riskless profit. And that's what arbitrage is like. Yeah, of course. So for those who don't understand, arbitrage is basically the difference between the buy-sell price on different markets, and you take that spread in between. So I do arbitrage on bonds and in other things around the world. And that's really interesting to see that they were there on day one to take advantage of the difference between the buy and sell price. That's funny. And this system is actually creating a liquidity solution which does not rely on volume. You know how every time we want to understand if something's going to be liquid or not, we look at the volume because that kind of tells us if it's liquid or not. That's not the case with Bancor. With Bancor protocol, what determines the level of liquidity is how much BNT you stake. So if you stake like a million dollars BNT, for a specific token, it can be yours, can be someone else's token, you know, it doesn't matter. But if you stake a million dollar of BNT in a relay, it means that if someone converts like $10,000 worth of tokens, it would move the price by 1%, $20,000 by 2%. So, you know, it's a very kind of simple math there. So as, as more you stake, if you stake $10 million of BNT, then you, you can do you know, a $100,000 transaction with barely moving the price. So essentially, as much as you stake, as much liquidity you get for your token. And it has nothing to do with the volume, which makes it a valid solution for very, very lightly traded tokens. There's no problem with a token that is being traded once a week as long as it's on Bancor, using Bancor protocol, and it's on the Bancor network. And again, it can be a very a standard ERC-20 token, but if it's connected, participating in the Bancor liquidity network, it's always going to be liquid. It cannot not be liquid. Now, we guarantee liquidity. We don't guarantee the price. So if people, all they do is selling and selling and selling, of course, the price will crash as it should. But, you know, that's obviously usually not the case, as you can see, you know, in reality. So just a step back. So you can actually do token to token or is it always token to Ether or it is always token to Bancor token? All three. All three. Okay. Interesting. Because I was playing around on the website and I was just doing some rough calculations to see the market price versus the exchange and they were pretty much bang on. So the markets are pretty much the same price as you would find on an exchange. And you know something funny, if they're not the same price, let's say some token is more expensive on the Bancor network. Since it's all operated by smart contract, there is no spread. So if, if the price is high for you to buy a token, it means that necessarily it's great for everyone looking to sell it, to liquidate it. 
so you know it's how they say you know buy you know good balance with bad <laughs> so, mm-hmm, so a, mm-hmm. a good price for one side is a bad price for the other side and this is what keeps the system balanced fascinating so I'm curious here because you mentioned that you had 27 tokens. So the Bancor protocol is a protocol that goes on top of the tokens or this is separate thing that goes in between them? The answer is both, essentially, because you can create a smart token yourself, which is intrinsically liquid. And that has some advantages in terms of, you know, the price and the slippage that you will occur. The slippage is the price movement. You know, if you buy more, you will have you know, more slippage. When you sell more, you have more slippage. So you can create your token as a smart token. And we do provide the code on our GitHub and some companies have done so. However, if you already have an ERC-20 token out there, you can connect it to the network simply by deploying a token relay, which is another token which can be described as a basket of your token and BNT. And as soon as this basket is up, it will allow anyone to push in your token and take out BNT or vice versa. And whenever this is done, again, it affects the price. And arbitragers keep it balanced with the market prices. So it opens to any token you know, existing and new, whether it's inherently supporting the Banco protocol or through a token relay, which is a completely different contract. This is why you know, we just connected DAI a stable coin that just came out, just connected it yesterday to the bank liquidity network. All we had to do is to buy some DAI and put it in a token relay. And it's up and running. And you can read people on Twitter happy that it's a really simple way to hedge your crypto with the US dollar if you feel like the market going to crash again as it's happening the last few weeks. That makes perfect sense. So when you want to scale Bancor, because you said at 27 tokens right now, where in the marketplace there might be, say, over 1,000 tokens, is this something that your team is going to manually have to go through, or this is something that individually the other companies they'll need to initiate? So even right now, everyone can create a smart token, a token relay for his tokens. Some have done so. So, I mean, basically being part of the Bancor protocol is having a smart token, whether it's yours or you know a smart a token relay, but deploying a, a smart token, that's one thing. Anyone can do that. And depositing you know, BNT and your token into that smart token, and that's it. You're part of the network. And people can convert to your token. Now, we don't have like a, still a very simple user experience in order to create smart tokens because... You know, we just released the network three months ago, so we, we're still working on having a decent wallet, which we will announce soon. But this is definitely something that we're going to have to make it much uh, simpler for anyone to connect a token to the Bank or Liquidity Network, even though it's perfectly possible right now for anyone with understanding of you know, how to use Ethereum. Okay, so fast forward 12 months from now, how many tokens do you expect to see on the Bancor network? You know, I accept to see all the big ones, and I expect that to, to be hundreds. And more than that, I expect that to be across multiple blockchain, not just Ethereum, because Bancor is a liquidity network. It has nothing to do with any specific blockchain. Yes, we work on top of blockchain, but you'll be able to move BNT between blockchains on a one-to-one basis, so that would make sure that you can convert from any token to any token on any blockchain with two hops, so you convert to BNT and to the target token or native uh, blockchain currency, you know, whatever it is, within maximum of two hops. And that can only be achieved if Bancor is a cross-blockchain token, which is a technology that is evolving very, very fast. And there are many groups working on solutions like that, like Polkadot, Aeon, Cosmos, Metronome, uh, you know, to name a few. And really uh, looking forward to to have bank or a cross blockchain token and kind of open it up to the rest of the networks because you know we see today even a lot of ICOs are happening on NEO. I'm personally very, very bullish on EOS, you know, as a application developer for blockchain. As such, I think we, we kind of experience the difficulties of, of using the technology and the challenges. And I think that EOS are solving many of the challenges that we face and in a very profound and scalable way. So 
I'm a big fan of that project as well. But, you know, it's it's not what I know how to do. I'm, I'm not a blockchain builder. I'm, I'm not even a technology builder. I, I make technology accessible. You know, that's what we do here. We, we, we take complicated technology and we make it accessible for end users. That's what the, the teams here have been doing all their life. We don't know how to build secure blockchain that can face different attack vectors. That's not, mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. who we are. So you connect people and you connect different currencies. Yes. Interesting. Very interesting. So basically being able to take something from, say, Litecoin or Bitcoin, go straight into an ERC-20, go straight into a Monero or something like that, that all work off of different blockchains. Yes, I, I would say the most important thing for Bankwell to work is that it requires smart contracts. So, you know, Bitcoin today doesn't really have smart contracts, but there is a project, Rootstock, RSK, which are working on adding this capability to Bitcoin. And we're looking forward to see that uh, working as well. But I think that all modern blockchain, whether it's, again, Neo, EOS, Cardano, I mean, smart contracts are really, really important. They allow create structures, or I can even say legal structure in a way, that allow different parties that do not necessarily trust each other or know each other to engage in business together. And that's a huge advantage. And I think that we're going to see blockchains with smart contracts thriving. And smart contracts are required in order to operate, you know, to, to operate the bank or protocol, because essentially, what we're building here is, again, is a token that can hold other tokens. And that's, in its essence, a smart contract. This is what smart contracts enables us, us to do. Very interesting. So you mentioned with the wallet, I noticed a number of different wallets, but say, like, my Ether wallet is not one of them. But you're using MetaMask, you're using Mist, you're using Parity. So how come no my Ether wallet, which I would think is probably one of the more popular wallets out there? Yeah, so what we use is a standard called Web3. Web3 is essentially a standard that enables web applications to issue transaction to an Ethereum wallet, an external Ethereum wallet. That's the current solution, that is how it works. And the list of wallets that we work with are simply the wallets that work with Web3 standards so we can send them the user transaction in a standard way. Uh-huh, okay. Now, MetaMask support that, but my Ether wallet does not at this point. And if it would, that you know, we would love to, to make sure that it works as well. But in any case, the whole Web3 and integration between multiple wallets is not the best user experience. And it doesn't work on mobile, which is a big problem for us. And this is why we are tireless working actually in, at, at this very moment. If you could see here all the people in the office building the wallet, <laughs> building the web wallet that would work from any mobile phone and any, any web browser, and integra- which is also integrated with your Messenger, with your Telegram, with your Facebook Messenger, with your WeChat. So this is our own solution, our own designed user experience to, to allow people to easily kind of control and trade and convert and send their tokens, and it's going to be out in really in the next few weeks. Wow, that's exciting. That's really going to change the world, being able to use it from Telegram and from all these other places, the convenience of it, being able to transfer one token to another without having to find a counterparty for your transaction. That's huge. We sure hope so. You know, we're very proud with Banco Protocol. We think that you know, it does provide an, a better approach to liquidity. Actually, a safer approach because the current system is structurally flawed because it's sensitive to pump and dumps. Because, you know, why is it sensitive to pump and dumps? Because all the graphs that you see on your trading platforms is graphs of prices of two people that traded between themselves that you don't know them. You know, and this is how people pump prices. They kind of trade with themselves or with a friendly party and, and, and make it seem as if the price is going up. You cannot do that when you're using Banco Protocol because you're not trading with other people because you're trading with a smart contract and the smart contract doesn't care. I mean, it's, it's going to have a specific price, and if you buy, the price will go up. And if you want the price to go to the moon, you'll have to buy a lot and risk significant, significant funds. So this is a solution for pump and dump, which we have legal and you know, laws against that all around the world. And because it's a structural deficiency of the current bid-ask system and the order book, 
And on, on the crypto world, there's just no way to mitigate that. There's no way to fight it. So we just live with it. We like accept it as a reality. The tokens are pumped and dumped and, and it creates a lot of inefficiency and you know all those signal groups that spam everywhere trying to get people to join their pump and dump efforts. And Banco Protocol really solves that and it removes the liquidity risk while doing it. So you know, we're very proud of what we did and we really want the world to kind of recognize it. One of the problems is that most people don't get Banco Protocol. They don't get how it works. It sounds like science fiction where it's really simple. I mean, it's it's simple when you get it. You know, it always seems complicated. Yeah, before. I would say it's simple when you get it because I've even been reading and researching on my own. And I'll tell you, it's not the easiest thing to understand the first go around. But I, I can definitely see how it's going to change the world. Okay, so for the people out there who maybe don't have such a technical background as you, what is the simplest, most basic way that you could explain it? Like as if you were teaching a six-year-old. So what I would tell him... <laughs> would be that, you know, the current solutions are based on essentially matchmaking buyers and sellers. And matchmaking buyers and sellers require two parties to have opposite ones at the same time. And it's hard to find a buyer and a seller that match to each other. And this is why you might not be able to sell or buy your tokens. What Banco Protocols allows you to do is to create a common liquidity pool that serves all the holders of the token actually can be driven by them. And those liquidity pools enables anyone to convert the token to, to, to something else like Ether and back, and they regulate the price according to the market function. So instead of setting the price by, by looking at actual deals that people are doing, like the actual matchmaking, the price is set whenever someone is buying and whenever someone is selling. And it doesn't need to happen in the same time. And that's the key. You can buy now, someone else can sell later, and the price will, you know, jump up and jump down, you know, like a, you know, a tenth of a percent because of that. And it would just work. And you wouldn't have to worry about not having liquidity for your token anymore. Okay, I think that's still a complicated six-year-old, but <laughs> but no, but that does help. That does help for sure. So basically, a trustless system where we don't need to worry about having a third party. You don't have to worry about having another person there. You make the transaction, and there's no one on the other end, and the smart token converts it for you instantly. Yes, and mathematically, it builds in such a way that it doesn't matter how much you buy from the smart contract it will never run out of token. The price could climb to infinity, you know, almost. But it will never run out of token. And as you buy more and the smart contract increases the price in which, you know, you can buy, it will obviously create opportunity for arbitrages to do the opposite operation and make some money on the way. So essentially it's built in such a way that is you know, limitless liquidity and the balances of the smart contract can never be dried. Okay. So say that there is an investor out there, he's listening to this podcast, and he were to go to an exchange and purchase BNT tokens, what would be the advantage for him as an investor to hold on to this token? So I think we're entering a, a greater question that uh, I think affects the entire industry. And it's like, why, why would you buy a token? Why would you hold a token? And I think, you know, every the value of each token is made of two components, if you will. One component is the size of the economy, the activity of the economy. So, for example, I like to call it the online economy of, of Ethereum. It has a lot of ICO activity. And all this ICO activity takes place in Ether. So whenever someone wants to purchase token in an ICO, he needs to acquire Ether in order to send to the smart contract. So this obviously increases the demand to Ether and we see what happens. So this is like pure economic produce, if you will, like, you know, it's almost like a GDP, but on a blockchain level. So this obviously drives the price. But the other thing that drives the price is that when someone believes that the economic activity will grow, he can buy the token right now and see the price going up because 
greater economic growth, you know, will lead to a greater demand token and, and an increased price. So he can just buy the token because he believes that the economy will grow and he can make money. And that's fine because by doing that, he's actually strengthening the economy and increasing the value of the token and helping the economy reach its goal and grow and, and fund, uh, you know, fund itself on, on the way. Now, not only when the economy will grow, the value will grow, but if more people become believers like that person, then obviously the value will grow as well. So as long as you have more and more and more people believing that the, econo that the economic activity will grow, then you'll see the price growing. Now, what will cause the price to drop? First, if the economic activity shrinks, and that can happen. You know, blockchain can have less and less transaction every day because people are abandoning it. And I think we'll see more and more cases like that. And that will, you know, have a strong effect on the price. But also when people, less and less people believe that the economic activity will grow, that will also have an effect on the price because all those investors, those holders, will actually pull their investment and put it on someone that they believe will grow. So there's those two factors of the actual economic growth and the prediction and the belief as to the future of the economic growth that drive the price of every token. Now, how does that relate to BNT? BNT is used as a staking mechanism in order to get liquidity in the bank or liquidity network. So BNT is connected to 27 different tokens. And if any new token want to be part of that network and be connected to all those tokens, including Ether and obviously more blockchain uh, native cryptocurrencies in the future. But if any token issuers or issuer or community of holders wish to connect a specific token to the bank or liquidity network, it will need to stake BNT. By doing that, increasing the demand for BNT. Now, as they do it, obviously that will have an effect on the price because it, uh, increased demands does that. And of course, there is the other side of more and more people understanding what we bring to the table, understanding that we are bringing a different approach to liquidity that in our mind invalidates all the old ones that are sourced in you know, manual stock markets where people were shouting offers to each other and, 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 and trading papers. But now that you have computers doing the trading, you can actually move to a new system which is way, way more efficient and guarantees liquidity. There's almost no price for that because liquidity usually changes the asset price by 30%. By guaranteeing liquidity, you guarantee that you know, the asset would not lose that value from becoming illiquid or get that value by becoming liquid when, when it was not before. So more and more people understanding the concept, more and more people believing that it will continue to grow would also have an effect on the price. So everyone that thinks if you want to purchase BNT or not should try to predict whether the economic growth will grow or not, if more people will demand BNT or not, and to, to figure out if more people would figure out the concept and believe in the future growth, which also drives the price. So this is like how I how would look about this subject. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break. So if you guys haven't joined Expat Money Forum yet, then I don't know what I need to do to get you guys to go on this. The conversations in this forum are just unbelievable. The networking is fantastic. There's so much things being shared with the group that honestly, it's more than just me. It's more than just this podcast. It has grown to a life of its own. We have over 2,000 people in our private group discussing things like immigration, asset protection, travel, food, culture, history, everything about being an expat and going overseas. There's tons of work being done on Plan B residencies, on different passports. We're even talking about SIM cards, international SIM cards, and the best places to get your internet if you're a digital nomad and you're traveling around the world. There are so many things that are being shared by people who are actually in different countries, who are digital nomads, who are expats, who have gone offshore, and there's just so much there. So I'm really excited about it. I hope you can see that I'm really thrilled about this group because it's just more than I ever expected. And a massive shout out to you if you are part of the group and you are contributing and helping 
other people who are looking to get where you are. You are an awesome person. I really, really appreciate it. So if you guys want to get involved, if you want to join the conversation, then go to expatmoneyforum.com or on Facebook directly, you can search for Expat Money Forum. You'll find us there. We should come up on the very first page. And yeah, join the group, join the conversation. Lots happening there. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. It's really fascinating because just listening to you now, I remember when I used to trade options. So I used to trade options on the TSX, which is the Toronto Stock Exchange. And I used to trade options on the New York Stock Exchange. And sometimes you would have the exact same calls and puts listed on both places. But in the Canadian side, the liquidity would be so bad that you would never be able to get filled. You would have to go so far to the other side that you would actually be losing money. But when you switched over to the New York Stock Exchange, which runs off the Chicago Board of Options, you could get filled in seconds and the spread in between was very, very minimal, usually just a cent or like one or two cents. So things are starting to make sense a little bit more now for liquidity problems for me trying to tie things back to something like I understand, like futures and stocks and options. So what is your goal with Bancor? What do you hope to see, say, in the next year, two years, five years? So I would say that more than anything, I believe that Bancor opens the door for the long tail of user-generated currencies. And I think that as more and more people understand that now we not just have the ability to issue a currency, which, which is a revolution by itself. Everything that we've seen in the last year is a result of the newly formalized ability of humans to issue international, digital, secure currency that works on every smartphone for, and, you know, basically for free. And, 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 and that's new, that new ability is, is almost like you know, enabling anyone to broadcast video to the world, like what I did in Medica Friend, what YouTube did. And we know what the effect of that is, right? It changed the landscape completely. When, when you open the channels and you let anyone to do that, it changed the, the landscape. But today, yes, anyone can issue it, a, a currency, but, but, but a currency that is not liquid, it's like a, a, a network not connected to the internet it actually loses much of its value. And what I would like to see is people understanding that now they can issue currencies that are always liquid. And that kind of opened the minds of what you can do in terms of local currencies, in terms of business currencies, in terms of, you know, it could be a family currency or a personal currency. Oh, who knows? I have no idea what is the use case that would win, but now that you have the ability not just to issue a currency, but issue a liquid currency, issue a currency that will always be liquid, I think that we'll see many, many more use cases taken advantage by the different groups and individuals in order to, to explore new models. And, you know, if you ask me what is my, my dream with Bancor would be exactly that. And I think this is a great system to kind of deal with the concentration of wealth which I think is a big problem in our society because, you know, wealth has this natural tendency to concentrate because if you have a lot of money, you have a lot of power, you have a lot of control, and then you can acquire more money. And, and you know, we see that those dynamics again and again. And I think that you know, there's no countermeasure for that. But if you give people choice, if you enable people to choose which currencies they, they, they wish to hold, where do they want to hold their fortunes? Uh, which set of currencies they want to hold the, their, their fortunes? Then you give them choice that whenever that choice is done, whenever someone is choosing, for example, to convert some of uh, the U.S. dollars to Bitcoin, is actually strengthening the Bitcoin economy while weakening, even by just a bit, the dollar economy. Yep, absolutely. That one I understand completely because I look at something like the USD and if people keep transferring all their money into cryptocurrency, the USD, the Europe, all these other currencies, they have no way to go but down. If I start transacting, if I want to buy something from you in Litecoin or Bitcoin or whatever currency I choose and it, it is not one of the centralized ones, then those currencies are going to become worthless. A USD will become worthless. Like obviously it will not happen overnight. But I, I can definitely see, like, 
in the long term, this is what's exactly what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because people will have choices. It's like, again, it's like having a TV station. When I was a kid, there was only one TV station in Israel, Channel One. That was the name. There's only, only one channel. And now my kids not even familiar with that channel because they have YouTube. So when you have monopoly, when everyone is kind of grew up and they used the fact that there's only one currency, and and you tell someone, oh, you know, you can choose where do you want to store your capital. You can actually store it in different currencies, and actually it's worked quite well for for some people to do that. And when you do that, you essentially associate yourself with a specific group, with a specific community. There's the Bitcoin economy and the Ethereum community, and God knows there's a doggy coin community. (laughs) All those are like different communities that you associate with and you strengthen when you choose to store your capital and tie your financial fortune, if you will, with those groups. So that's, I think, a, a choice that people didn't have, just like they couldn't choose their leaders few hundred years ago. You know, if you bring people from the Middle Ages today and you say, okay, you now choose your leader, they will get confused. You know, what, what do you mean? I mean, who's the child of the, the prime minister? He should rule. <laughs> so we need to get used to that as well, to the end of the monopoly of money. in in the modern age. And I think it will take some time to adjust. I just love this topic because this is the expat money show. So discussing money and the theory of money and what we believe money to be is just so, so fascinating for me. So what you think in the future is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we will actually have much more tokens in the future. There'll be micro tokens for smaller communities. Because a lot of people, when they look at coin market cap or something and they see over a thousand tokens on there, the prediction is that half of them are going to disappear, that half of them are going to turn out to be worthless and they're going to disappear and they're going to cease to exist. And then we're going to be left with a smaller set of coins. But maybe what you're thinking is that individual communities or businesses, or I think you even said families, could have their own token, and by using Bancor, you solve the liquidity problem of it. Exactly, and I'm a big believer in that because, again, I think that when you let people create, you know, they, they will create, and there's actually good examples where multiple currencies are actually very beneficial. For example, you know, in Greece, just recently, you know, they took, took away their national currency, and we all saw what happened. I mean, there's something incredibly balancing by having, you know, multiple localized currencies. Because Greece was importing more than it was exporting. So, you know, if it was using its own currency, so the value would depreciate, and that would make tourism much cheaper into Greece. So a lot of tourists would flock there because it's so cheap to move to Greece. And that would discourage people of Greece to buy stuff which is imported, right? Because it becomes so expensive and there's a balancing mechanism there. But when you take the currency from Greece and they still import more than they export, what happens is that they're just drained from euro and you have less and less euro circulating in the Greek economy. And you know, in Hebrew, it's, we use the same word for money and blood. And that's a very interesting uh, uh, case because because both are circulating and both are used to, to, to help other, would say, organs or organizations to collaborate. And both you should have not too much and not too little. There's just the right amount in order for the circulation to work perfectly. And what happened to Greece at that time is that basically they were bleeding out euro. And it killed the economy. I mean, the factories were there and everything was there, but, but there was no instrument of collaboration between them. And this is what happens to a body, which it bleeds out. I mean, all the organs are fully functioning, but without the collaborative technology between them, the ability to work together, the body dies. We all know that. This is why we strongly believe that that this is how economy protect themselves. And at the very least, you should have municipal currencies, but even more neighborhood currency could make sense. We don't know, but we're sure it's not in the framework that we have right now. Excellent. So you mentioned earlier in our talk tonight that there are other companies who are trying to do 
what Bancor is doing. What advantages do you have over them? Why would someone want to use Bancor opposed to one of the other projects that are out there? So I'm not sure with, with what context I said it. I think that there are different solutions for liquidity. I mean, obviously, there are exchanges, centralized exchanges, or even decentralized exchanges. Um, that 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 exist out there, and you know we're obviously familiar with them, but we're not familiar with any solution that is establishing a decentralized liquidity network, which is not based on on labor, which is the key here, because you don't need market makers with Bancor. The, their services are not required, and and market makers are the providers of liquidity in the modern world. So it's almost like a self-driving car in a world full of drivers. It, it automates a, a, a function which is actually a big part of the economy, a much bigger part than drivers, I can tell you that. So, so we we're not familiar with any solution that is you know, automatic and decentralized like Bancor. And we think that you know, being automatic and not requiring labor would have you know, significant cost implication. However, it has limitations as well, because we can only operate on a smart contract-enabled blockchain. We cannot do, listen to this point, we cannot do what we do without using a smart contract-enabled blockchain. Okay. And what would be some of the challenges or maybe some of the setbacks that are going to stand in Bancor's way from progressing forwards? We already had some in six months that we've been up and running. Um, Ethereum fees were getting a little bit out of control. Crypto kitties killed us all. Crypto kitties, exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> it brought the fees to a ridiculous level that, you know, make it really not worthwhile for a small conversion to happen on Bancor because, you know, what's the point if you want to convert like $200 and you have to pay like $50 fee? That doesn't make sense, right? But now it's much better, thank God. And we also had issues with, you know, the network stopping to work all together. And I think, you know, the immaturity of the technology is definitely the biggest challenge that, you know, we have to face here every day. But you know, we're very optimistic because we're seeing, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for 20 years. I've never, ever seen anything like that. I mean, I was here in the dot-com area. It was not even close. By, by that time... You know, back then, there were so few companies and entrepreneurs relative to what we're seeing today. It's like been 20 years of technological innovation and teams and companies. And, you know, the biggest companies today in the world are like the, the Googles and the, the Amazons of the world. I mean, the dot-com actually took over the world, even though it crashed. It's like the, the dot-com companies, they took over the world. And there's so much talent and so much engineering and marketing power. And you see so many of them kind of pivoting to blockchain technology as blockchain technology represents, I think, the third uh, evolution of computing. I like to describe it as the revolution of decentralized databases, where people can create databases that are not controlled by central entities, by the, by the users themselves. So you can create you know, a bank without banks. You can create a Google without Google. You can create a Facebook without Facebook. So... I think we're going to see a lot more progress in, in the infrastructure and, and, you know, the blockchain technology that we see today because people are truly excited about it and hopping over and see the potential and actually even, you know, making good profit from doing so, at, at least at that point in time. So I hope to see that continue and you know, essentially build a better, more decentralized world where you don't have companies that control the Internet to the degree that, you know, you can read a column on TechCrunch just saying, you know, don't bother making the startup because Facebook's just going to copy you. I mean, no one wants to live in, in that world. And, and I think that blockchain is essentially showing us the, the way out. So it's interesting that you actually lived through the dot-com bubble and were actually an entrepreneur at that time. Do you see many similarities between the dot-com bubble and what's happening right now? Because I know that a lot of people just keep saying, cryptocurrency, it's a bubble, cryptocurrency, it's a bubble. I'm curious your opinion. So, you know, I, I, I see a lot of similarities in terms of uh, there was a technology that was so promising and captured the imagination of so many people that, you know, really shifted 
the ground of the technology space. Yes, that's very similar, and it never happened since. I mean, even mobile was not, not such a big revolution. I mean, it's like blockchain is almost like requiring a rewrite of the entire web that we've established up to this day and, and doing almost everything we do in, in a better, more efficient, more competitive, more open than we used to do it before. That's obviously very similar. However, people talk about the similarity in the bubble now. I just don't accept that because it's really not the same. The whole dot-com thing happened on NASDAQ and was kind of crashing because some analysts, big-name analysts, has decided that made the prediction that Amazon is going to go bankrupt. You know, the company that actually produced the richest person in the world, the prediction back then is that it's not going to survive. And that crashed the entire market, and Amazon even survived even through that. We see today what an empire Amazon has become. So I think, you know, today when some big analysts, not even the big analysts, the CEO of JP Morgan saying that Bitcoin is bad, people laugh in his face. They're like making fun of him. So it's very, very different. I mean, it's not a Wall Street pump, this whole thing, because this is very global. This is like grandmothers from China driving the markets. And we never saw a global financial network that, that resembles what we see now. So the, the whole notion of bubble that is going to burst because some, some crowd is going to behave like a herd and when someone sells, say, everyone will panic sell, even though it doesn't make sense. I mean, the internet did become amazing, amazing. No one could predict how, you know, how beautifully it's going to grow. But I think that, you know, the chances of that happening here now, something else might happen. No, you know, someone will find a, a way to break into digital signature or something or whatever. Maybe say something that we can't predict, but not the same thing that happened last time. The last time was driven by investment bankers, brokerage house, you know, stock investors. And, and today it's like everyone, everyone is part of this this financial future, and I expect it to behave very differently. So I, I wouldn't learn from what happened and get to the conclusion that the same thing going to happen again. It's not the same. Fantastic, fantastic. Actually, that reminds me of a story. When I started describing cryptocurrency and stuff to my mother, she saw the benefits straight away. Now, my mother is 60 years old, and I was kind of giving her a briefing on different currencies, and she started to buy some of her own. So when I told her about Monero, I said, listen, this is the one that all the drug dealers are using. This is the one that human trafficking and people are selling AK-47s and all these different things. And she went, wow, cool. I can see that being useful. And she went out and bought Monero <laughs> and she bought it at around, right around a hundred dollars, I would say. And look at Monero. My mother, 60 years old, has gone up to what, around 400 or something like that. And she sank thousands of dollars in and she did very well for herself. So when you mentioned, you know, people all over the world being able to participate opposed to just those sitting on Wall Street and, uh, and making decisions for all of us, I, I definitely understand what you mean. Exactly. I think this is a great example. So... You know, I see a lot of misunderstanding in this space and a lot of people from outside that are, I mean, in order to get why it's such an amazing technology, you really need to dive into that and not just to the technology, but also to the social structures that it affects. And understanding those social structures is, is not a trivial thing. I mean, people spend lifetimes on kind of figuring out how our society works in different areas. And, and I think that only the combinations of many different insta, insights and understanding and perspective in one's mind can you know, make him a believer, someone that says, you know, this, this is what's going to happen. This is where the world's going to go. I mean, it's, that's going to do to all the financial institutions exactly what Internet did to all the media companies. So it didn't kill them, but all the media companies become equal competitors in a unified network where anyone can post video. There's no advantage to CNN over my little kid when they both post videos that are available to anyone online. And then the CNN video actually has to be better for the end user in order to win him over my kid's video, right? 
mm-hmm. and people are going to be a lot less forgiving of something like CNN opposed to a homemade video. But you'll even see things that go completely viral and will have, you know, hundreds of millions of views. And looking at it, if you were the first viewer, there's no way to tell that they was going to get that much traction behind it. Exactly, and and I think that when when there is a free competition. Between all people, we see all the beauty and all the creativity and all the innovation of, of, of humanity expressing itself. And I believe that the greatest thing we can do is, is to allow people to express their creativity and innovation in a way that will allow others to benefit from that. And that's exactly what this new financial framework is enabling. It's not a closed system. It's an open system. It's a decentralized system. It's an uncontrolled system. And I think there's so much more that we can do as people using those tools that, you know, it's really get me excited and then, you know, get me going and working hard to make my small part of realizing that vision. And I think that perfectly segues into my next question, though, because I'm really curious what your opinion is on people's skills that they should develop. If people want to get ready for this new technology, things that are going to come up in, say, the next 10 to 20 years, maybe even our children who are going to live in this type of world, what are those skills that people should start developing now? So I think that when you have a choice of currency, or you can call that a choice of, current, of, of, of economy, you can choose which economy you participate in by, again, holding their, their token. Then understanding those economies and, and, and understanding how they work and understanding how they, they plan to grow becomes really important. Just like you know, when, you, when you're choosing today which person you want to put in office or, or stuff like that, you want to understand what's going on. You want to make a conscious choice that would benefit you and your well-being and your family and your com- community as well. So I think that, that being able to, 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 uh, to participate in multiple economies and manage one's participation in those different economies is a new state of mind that we will um, adopt as, as options are opening up. And, and that's kind of something that I think anyone, anyone will find himself uh, uh, doing in, 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 in some capacity. So how would they develop a skill to be able to do that then? For example, by learning about uh, every economy that you know, participate in. Let's uh, take, for example, but let's say there's a local currency, like a municipal currency, and someone is wanting to participate in that. So he should go and she should read how... You know, how is money is issued in that currency? Who was the money issued to in the first place? Is money destroyed in this economy? How is that done? Who managed the, the process of issuance? Who, who decides who gets the new money? So, you know, every, every economy has its own set of rules, and they're different from, you know, from, from one to another. And that's a good thing, because you can try different models so you can achieve the best one. But understanding how the money that you use work is something that very few people care about. I mean, we, we care a lot about money. I mean, everyone is like con- continuously obsessed about, you know, how to get more money and the problems that you have about money. I mean, you can see that on, on people's life all, all around you. But no one seemed to understand how money works. If you go to the average person, you ask him, do you know how new money is issued and who decide when is, is it issued? And who decided who is it issued to? And is it destroyed? you even know? And when is it destroyed? And, and how does this money that you go after so much works? You don't even know because, you know, who, it doesn't really matter because you don't have a choice. But that's different when you do have a choice. So you need to understand how it works. Just like, you know, uh, again, someone who invests in companies need to understand their business model. Why he's, he's expecting them to, to, to generate profit. You will need to understand that. But if you're taking part in economies, you need to understand how those economies work. And, and I, I, I really think that this is a, something that people need to know. And, and your podcast is probably a great way 
for people to learn more about money, about how it works, in order to become better users of money and better holders of money and, and take you know, part successfully in the new economy that is being created. So not taking things at face value, really going deep on what the fundamentals are, being objective about them, and really questioning things. That's what I hear. Make sure that you're asking lots of questions so that you understand things at that fundamental level. You think that these types of skills are really going to be prevalent in the future? Yes, yes. When we have a choice, we need to understand why we want to choose one option over the other. Yeah, because these days we actually have choice. Now, probably when you and I were both growing up, there was no choice. We had one currency. We had, for me, it was a Canadian dollar. That's all I had. That was if I wanted to get a job, if I wanted to do babysitting, if I wanted to uh, purchase anything, it had to be done in that. But now we actually have an option. Every time we spend a dollar or spend a Bitcoin or whatever it might be, really what we're doing is we are voting. We are voting for what system we want to be prevalent, to be primary, I should say. And I would even say that it's even a bigger vote of confidence, not what you spend, or it, it is what you hold. Because what you hold, it's like your social credit. It's like when I hold... Uh, shekels, the local currency in Israel, it's like it's like the Israelis, they owe me something because I can take those shekels and I can pay them to someone and he will come and clean my house or, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's like the society owes you something because because you, you have those shekels. It's, it's a social credit. And, and, and now, you know, uh, you can choose which group will owe you something when you choose where you store your capital. And we discussed that, that this makes them stronger. So I think this is the most important choice of how do you hold your capital? Because when you want to spend it, you know, thanks to stuff like bank or protocol, it's, not, it's going to be a non-issue to convert from one form of money to another. It's going to be very easy. But what do you hold is, you know, it's what community you're part of. We like to say that every currency is a community. And unlike a simple online community like, you know, Facebook groups that you can be a member of or not be a member of with a currency, that currency community, you can be a junior member, an advanced member, a super member. It's depending how much of your capital you store with the common currency of that particular group. I love it. I think that's brilliant. I want to be really respectful of your time. Thank you so much. Such a fascinating, fascinating conversation. If people want to get a hold of you, if people want to learn more about Bancor Protocol, where should they, where should we send them? So Bancor.network and Telegram is Herzog, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G. I, you know, I rarely get to my emails, but, but Telegram is really quick and I'm enjoying it. And if someone, you know, wants to kind of participate, join, you know, asking questions is the best place for that would be the bank or protocol group on Telegram or on Reddit. And we, we try to stay active on all channels and make sure that, you know, people's uh, questions get answered and that people are welcome to, you know, join the party. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Like I said, such a fascinating conversation and I'm going to be doing more research myself. I have been part of the Telegram group for Bancor. It's a very active group. I can attest to that. <laughs> we're, we're enjoying it a lot. It's, I never had anything like, you know, as an entrepreneur, you raise money from one investor or two. Now you have like 11,000 <laughs> contributors. <laughs> and so, you know, I love it. I love it. There's so many questions and so many, uh, even though it's, it could be hard work, but but everyone that cares about your project and take interest in what you do is, is, is a big compliment for us. So, you know, we enjoy it. Excellent. You have a wonderful night. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Mikkel here. I want to remind you that if you go to expatmoneyshow.com, you're going to be able to download our special report. It's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. It has been a project of mine I have been working on for maybe four years now, and I constantly update this with the newest and best strategies. Now, it's really different than a lot of other special reports or books out there because this one is really short, and it is short on purpose. 
what I want to do is kind of highlight to you the best of the best strategies that are out there in the world and then where you can go for additional information or how you can get involved in these things. So instead of writing a 500-page special report on this, which probably chances are no one is going to read it, this is really highly condensed information. I've actually put it in an infographic. It's an infographic special report. Uh, it has helped thousands upon thousands of people really get a grasp of being an expat and what type of things are out there to protect your assets, professionals that you should be working with, investments, real estate, these types of things. So it's called 19 International Strategies to Grow and Protect Your Wealth Abroad. You can pick it up at expatmoneyshow.com. You'll see it. It's on the very first page at the very top. All you need to do is put in your name and email address. You're going to get a chance to actually join my private email list, EMS Pulse. And there's just so much great things that are shared on there. It's completely free. There's no funnel. There's no trick to this. There's no credit card needed, anything like that. It's just a good resource for you, my listener, who I love and adore. And I want to do right by you guys. So go to expatmoneyshow.com, pick this up. Let me know what you think. I'll talk to you soon. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.